Good morning. I'm Jim McCaskey, and I work in the Advancement Division of, here at Goshen College, and more specifically, the Development Office as Director of Major Gifts. It's my privilege this morning to introduce you to our convocation speaker, Ms. Heba Saoudi. She's from Cairo, Egypt. And I first met Heba earlier this year when our paths crossed and, and when I was doing preparation for President Brenneman's trip to Egypt in February. As an Egyptologist, a word I'd never heard before, her depth and breadth of knowledge about ancient and present-day Egypt was remarkable. But I was totally taken by the passion she showed for her subject matter. When we visited the Great Pyramids, my awe and curiosity was matched by her awe and excitement to educate me about them. I was equally impressed by her patience and transparency as I desired to learn more about Islam and what it was like to be a Muslim, and specifically a Muslim woman living today in Egypt. One of the objectives of the President's circle visit to the Middle East was to build bridges of understanding between our cultures. And with that purpose in mind, Heba now visits Goshen College. Heba is a graduate of Cairo University, 1992, a degree in tourism and guidance. Cairo University is a student population of about 400,000 students. It's the largest and the oldest in Egypt, or all of Egypt. She got her master's degree in 1997, also from Cairo University, and she's currently ABD, all but dissertation, for uh, her study is the role played by presenting jewelry in the temples. She had two years of study at Al-Azhar with a diploma in Islamic studies. Heba has, is the mother of two daughters, Shayi, who's 11, and Hannah, who's nine. But I'm equally excited to introduce Heba to you, a student body who's eager to learn as we seek to become global citizens. And so she will be looking to have interaction with you over the next three days while she'll be, she'll be on campus. She will be in Judy Wenig Horswell's jewelry class today at 1215, and that location has been moved to Wise 319. So if you'd like to join us for that, there's limited additional room. She'll also be in Jan Bender Shetler's class, Gender and World History, and world history. And you can also look at your record to figure out when these times are exactly. And in introduction to women's studies with Beth Martin Berkey tomorrow. I also want to take the opportunity to publicly thank Karen Bontrager. Irv and Karen Bontrager were on the trip with us. Irv is on the board of directors at Goshen College. And they have hosted her since she came in th on Thursday. So she has been introduced to the area to the Amish, and to the restaurants. And now she's ready to know Goshen College even a little bit more. With that, we welcome Heba Saudi. Thank you. Um, OK, thank you so much for having me with you here today. 
Uh, first of all, I have to, think, to thank Mr. President for allowing me to have this chance to be among all of you today. I'm absolutely honored. And uh, of course, to thank Jim for all his efforts to bring that life and happening. And my great hosts, the Bontragers, of course, they have been more than wonderful. I couldn't have asked for better. Um, first of all, um, as Jim was just introducing me, so you knew a bit about who I am, what I'm doing. So uh, being a tour guide is my full-time job. And I'm also occupied with raising my two daughters and um, having my studies going on. But first of all, I would like just to give you a kind of like small clearness of some of the words that you might have heard, whether in the news or newspapers or whatever, that you might somehow mix up uh, these kind of words. Like for example, some people have been asking me, is a Muslim, is a Muslim? Like if it's M-O-U-S-L-I-M, it's the same thing as M-O-S-L-I-M. Yes, it is. It is the same thing. And this simply means um, that you believe in this faith which is Islam. So the name of the religion is Islam, and to be a believer in this faith, it is to be a Muslim. It's exactly like Christianity and being a Christian. It's just the same thing. And uh, also one of the main things that I would like you to know is that um, the meaning of the word itself, Islam in Arabic, simply means the peaceful belief of God and to accept his will, no matter the circumstances will be and to be submit to his will and making sure deep inside that that will be always for your own will at the end, for your own good. I mean, no matter what happened in, will you, in your life, it will be mainly for your own good at the end, even though if you don't understand it at the moment, but it is for your own good. And to be a Muslim, you have to carry on like five main pillars or to be actually able to apply those five pillars. The first of which is to testify and to have the belief deep in your heart that there is no God but God and Muhammad is his prophet. Not only that, but also to acknowledge all God's prophets. Moses was a prophet, Jesus was a prophet, Joseph was a prophet, all Jacob, all those were mentioned in our holy book Quran and we know all their stories in details. That it might be a bit surprising for most of you to know that we have a whole complete chapter in our holy book Quran just dedicated to Virgin Mary with all the details of her story when she was giving labor and she sat under the palm tree and she, the angel appeared to her and asked her to shake the tree, get the dates, um, try to um, relieve her pain somehow. And then here we are, the baby Jesus. She's carrying him and she went to her family and they were sort of like, how dare you? Where this baby came from? And then she pointed to him and he started talking to the people. All these kind of details we have in our book and we're not only having it, but we are deeply believing in those um, ideas and stories and everything. So that's part of the faith, is not only to have your own faith, but also to acknowledge other faiths. Uh, the second pillar, it is to pray like five times a day. And we have a call for the prayer that probably some of you coming here to the room have heard. Um, and this call of the prayer will be, as I said, five times a day. So at dawn time, like before sunrise, uh, noon timing, afternoon timing, set time, sunset timing, and night time. And we have a duration between each prayer and the other. Like if the noon timing will be at noon, the afternoon prayer will be at like 3.30, let's say. So from noon to 3.30, you have to accomplish the noon prayer. But let's say if you are studying, working, driving, eating, whatever you're doing, then it's fine until you finish. 
what are you doing? And then you can simply go and have your prayer. So the call of the prayer is just an announcement to know that that's your time to go and pray. But whether if you can do it right in the moment or you can wait a little bit to finish up what you're doing, it's also fine. And I know that most of you might ask, um, because the, the dawn prayer would be at like 4.30 a.m. So are we all going up from bed at 4.30 a.m. to pray? The majority would do. And uh, the main thing in Islam, actually, it is, as I'm always describing it, is just that you are building your own credit yourself, or you are gaining the high scores by, and you earn them by what are you doing and how obedience you will be to your God. So if he is ordering us to get out of bed at 4.30, freshen up and pray, then if we are obedient enough, we will do it. And it's not only because if we are obedient enough, because we are thankful enough, and we like also to um, acknowledge his mercy. So that's why we have to do it. Uh, but of course, we are human. So some of us will sleep over and then get up in the morning. Before they go to work, they will just pray. On Friday, we have this group prayer. So to make it easy for you to understand, our Friday is like your Sunday. So everything is off. At noontime, we'll be gathering in the mosque. There will be an imam or a leader that we might show also some of the pictures around here. So he will be leading the people in the prayers. And in the prayers, we kneel down and we even bend on the floor. So that's why during the group prayers, women will be separated from men. So women could be on a separate floor or just behind men with a curtain or something. Um, the, the, the imam or the leader will be facing um, Mecca in Saudi Arabia. Mecca in Saudi Arabia, it is for the Muslims, the house of God. So that's where we're going to face, whether we are in our houses or in other countries or simply in the mosque. So you have to direct yourself to Mecca. Let's say here in the U.S., I might be only to the east, but in Egypt it was to the southeast. So it depends where are you. Um, and then after this group prayer, I mean, he was leading us in the prayer, and then after the prayer, he will be preaching us, exactly as you do here in the Sunday classes. He will be uh, interpreting a, a certain verse of Quran or um, telling us some stories about Prophet Muhammad's life or simply discussing a certain Islamic issue that the Islamic world is passing by, how we should reach out, how we make this kind of peace happening between um, all the Islamic nations and the non-Islamic ones as well. And then the third column, it is the almsgiving or giving a portion of your money to the poor. And we're not having a special system for that, which means that, uh, like, let's say, whatever penny you're going to earn, you have to pay like 10% of it or something to the poor. No. It's simply the unneeded money that you have. That's what you have to give out of them a certain portion, which is 2.5% to the poor. So to give you an example, let's say a man earns $100 a month and he spends over his family like 80 and he's going to save 20. If he's saving this 20 for the um, certain purposes, like school fees of his children next year or for a, an operation that he had to go and to operate or something, then it's fine because the money will be needed to something. But if he's saving this money because it's unneeded money, then he, get, he have to give 2.5% of them to the poor. He can do that individually if he knows someone around his neighborhood or um, among his relatives or simply he can give it to the nearest mosque and they will do it for him. The fourth thing, it is the, or the fourth pillar, it is the fasting of one of our lunar months. It's where we fast from dawn time till dusk or sunset. No food, no drink, not even a sip of water till we hear the call of the prayer of the sunset timing. Every single day for 30 days, dawn to dusk. 
Sometimes, especially in summertime, because we're following the lunar calendar, the days would be a bit longer. So we could sometimes fast for like 16 hours a day without even a sip of water. That's why before Ramadan, you find that we are having major prayers, that we're always praying for those who we thought that it will be a bit difficult for them to be able to fast the whole month. Like people who are working in bakeries or uh, like regulating traffic in the streets or so on. Imagine them with this kind of heat that we're having in Egypt or among the ovens the whole day, how they will be able to bear it. That's why we always pray for them to give them the strength that they might be able to bear it. That's why at the end of the whole month, we have a big celebration or a feast. It's like your Thanksgiving in a way. We thank God for enabling us for fasting the whole month and thanking him for all his offerings. And if those dear ones of us who had this um, kind of tough jobs were able to make it, we're even more thankful because we believe that our prayers have been accepted when we were asking God to allow them to tolerate this month and be able to fast it. So once they will do it, we feel so grateful that our prayers have been accepted. The fifth and the last pillar, it is the pilgrimage to Mecca and Saudi Arabia for those who can afford it both financially and physically. Like if you have enough money and a good health, then you have to go, it's like a must. And once you've done it, you've done it, it's once in a lifetime. But let's say if you have the money, but you're not physically fit to go and do the rituals, being old or being um, uh, not really able to bear to live tough circumstances because sometimes we'll be sleeping in tents on the ground for like two days or three days. It's very, very crowded, um, extremely hot, even hotter than Egypt, and so on. So if you do not, um, having the strength to be able to tolerate these circumstances, then it's acceptable for you to sort of like fulfill both conditions together. And since the pilgrimage is also as Ramadan, a kind of a lunar occasion, because we follow the lunar calendar, so it changes. So like this year it will be a December, next year it will be um, uh, November. It's always 11 days ahead each year, same thing for Ramadan. So Ramadan for this year, 2008, it was the 1st of September till the end of September. Next year, it will be around 19th of August, for example. So it's changeable, as I said, each year. Uh, for Muslims, we don't have baptism. We don't have confession. It's just a direct relationship between the person and his God, completely direct. No mediators, howsoever. That's why we don't have in our religious system either popes or priests, the only persons that we can um, highly refer to will be the imams or the sheikhs in the mosques. Those are the ones who will be graduated from Al-Azhar University, which is the biggest Islamic university located in Cairo, Egypt, but it is the biggest in the East, in the Middle East. So um, these ones have spent at least five years, six years of their life doing nothing but studying, studying Islamic sciences. So let's say they will be the most educatable persons about the religion than most of us do. So if you'd like to know the religion's point of view in a certain issue, these are the ones that you will go and seek their help. But they will tell you what the religion would say. But for you, it's not necessarily that you're gonna apply that on your life. I mean, the choice totally will be yours, whether you take this opinion or not. That's why a very common term that you might hear lately, fatwa. Fatwa simply means an unbinding advice. And that's when a religious man would say, okay, the religion's point of view is so and so. But whether you would take this opinion or not, again, as I said, the choice is yours. Uh, so it's not necessarily when a religious man will speak up saying a certain opinion that that's it. No. 
What's that's it? It is the book that all of us can have in our hands and all of us can comprehend. Unless if we have a kind of a misinterpreting for some of the verses, that's what we will go to him to clarify these points for us. Um, and Islam also, I mean, in Islam also, um, the intimacy of the relation between the person and his God, that's the main issue. That's what you really have to care for and make sure to have. Which means that if you're giving something as charity, for example, your left hand shouldn't know what your right is giving. Because you're not doing that to be said that you're a kind person or you're a generous one. No, you're doing that simply for him. Simply just to express your gratitude for all the blesses and graces that he's giving you. Not to be said that you are a good person or you're a kind one. And that's why you are not only requested to be kind to all human beings to begin with, but to be kind to all God's creatures, because simply they are here for you, to serve you, to make your life easier and happier. So that's why you have to be so grateful for that by treating them in a kind way, in a very good manner, and so on. Um, and this kind of uh, intimacy of relationship as well means that if you are committing a certain sin, you are not allowed to confess it to somebody else, even your closest relatives, like your mother because he should be closer to you than your own mother. He is the one who covered you up first place when you committed this sin. So if you want to express your regression, it's only him that you should confess this regression for, confess this regression for. So that's why you, you will always, and that was a very nice thing that I heard the other day when I attend um, the service on Friday, the chapel. That, I mean, the, the same words, that Jesus is around us, God is always watching us. That's what we also believe. I mean, we can talk to God while we're driving, juggling. Oh, God, can I have pizza tonight? Whatever. I mean, we feel this kind of closeness so much. And uh, we feel that he's always around us, protecting us, supporting us. And that's how we lead. And that's what we always try to pray to one another. And that's something common that we do, exactly as you do when you say, when you're talking to your dear ones and say, okay, love you, bye-bye. We'll say the same thing, but we also we mention a little prayer to each other. May God bless you, bye-bye. So that's something very common in our religion. Uh, for Muslims also, we're not allowed to drink, pork, uh, to drink alcohols. We're not allowed to eat pork. We're not allowed to gamble. We're not allowed to have any adultery or sex relation before or after marriage. So even if we have a couple are engaged to be married, they're not allowed to have sex until they actually marry. So I always say it, and people always laugh, but that's the way it is. We buy before we try. But again, knowing that is, um, God is around us, supporting us, we always pray for him a lot before we take such a decision. Oh, please, God, guide me. Be my leader. If you know that this person is really the perfect match for me, just facilitate our um, kind of commitment to each other and make us so much close to each other. And that's normally what happened in most of the marriages that we're having, uh, not only in Egypt, but in most of the Islamic countries as well. So we don't have what we call like the arranged marriages. We don't have that um, the parents will pick someone for the girl and tell her that's the one that you're going to marry and that's it. No, we don't have that, according to the religion. 
But again, the religion is something and the tradition is something else. And that's something very important that you have to differentiate from. Because in some of the countries, traditions are even much stronger than the religion itself. So you'll find that arranged marriages and all these sort of things are just part of the tradition, but it had nothing to do with the religion. The religion simply have to have the complete acceptance of both parties before marriage. So let's say some of the strict families who do not allow mixing sexes easily, they will act like matchmakers. They will bring someone that they will think that his character will be matching to their daughters, and they introduce. And then the couple can date a couple of times, and our date means that they will be out in public places, go among groups, maybe visit families, but not necessarily to, as I said before, to have intimate relation or something. And then after a couple of times, it's for them to decide, yes, can we go on? Or, well, I don't think that he's a perfect match for me. If either of them would say no, then it's no. I mean, no obligation from either sides to accomplish this marriage. It's just no. But if they felt like it, and they will go on dating for some while, then maybe they can take a further step, maybe engagement or something, and then eventually it will be ending up by marriage. And the marriage ceremony is more or less like your ceremonies. We have a religious one to be held in the mosque or in the bride's father's house. And then we'll be having this huge banquet where everyone can eat, dance, have a very nice time. The bride will be dressing in white and flowers and maids of honor, so similar to what you do here. And then honeymoon. Um, and um, as I was just saying before, Traditions are so different than the real religion is. And that will bring me to the point to talk about the veil or the way I'm dressing, for example. According to the religion, again, um, it's a simple order from God to Muslim girls as soon as they reach their puberty time to cover up, like wear long sleeves, long dresses, and cover their heads. In a country like Egypt, we're simply so moderate and we're just following the simple religion path. So there are no... Um, Restrictions about the style of the dress, the color of it, nothing. I mean, it's up to the girl's choice. And no, also no social pressure for the girl to wear this dress. Simply whenever she feels like it. But she will always have in mind that that's something that she has to do at a certain stage of her, mind, of her life. So some girls would say, well, we're so young among 15 or so. Can we do it when we're 20? Maybe after marriage? Maybe after the first baby? Maybe when we're 30? Something like that. But I mean, in a certain stage of her life, she will know that she will do it. And it's a kind of a courageous decision because it's a life decision. Once the girl will decide to put on the veil, she won't be able to take it off. So it's almost like no way turning back. So once she will say, okay, I'm ready to wear it, then that's it. And the girl will decide to wear on the veil. She will be wearing it as long as she's outdoors. Indoors, she can take it off in front of all the people that she cannot marry. Uncles, parents, husband brothers, sisters, family, friends, female friends. But let's say if she will be inviting some of her male friends around, she will be wearing it, although she will be indoors. The whole philosophy behind it is just to be a bit modest, not so seductive, not so sexy, in other words. So that's why I know it's not happening in the outside world, but it, it is what it should be like at the religion's point of view. So that's why some girls, because it's an individual step, when they will find themselves so attractive in the white uh, Western clothes, they don't wear these tight clothes. They wear some kind of like 
fluffy dresses somehow, long veils to cover the majority of their bodies. Some find themselves attractive even when their face is exposed, so they sometimes cover their faces except of the eyes, and probably you will be seeing that a lot in some other Muslim countries, like maybe Saudi Arabia and Dubai and so on. But let me first tell you why she will choose to put this style of dressing. It will be a bit more conservative and, and more obedient, let's say, because she doesn't want to have any kind of attraction, even an eye contact or anything. She was sort of like shutting herself down compared to the rest around her. That's by choice. I mean, she chose to do that, so it's up to her. But in other countries, like in Saudi Arabia or so, that's their national dress. That's what they have to wear to go out in the streets. So if I am visiting Saudi Arabia, I cannot get out in the street with my outfit like this. I have to wear exactly as their own girls, dressed in black and cover my face. So that's the tradition. That's the way it is. That's why you'll find some of the girls, when they are leaving Saudi to somewhere else, maybe to Egypt or elsewhere, the minute the plane in the air, you go to the restrooms, pew, Everything is up and long, beautiful hair, beautiful makeup. Because simply that's what they not really want to do deep inside. They were sort of like obliged in a way to do when they are outside. So since they are in a kind of a cosmopolitan country like Egypt, who cares? So they will just take it off. Um, however, others who maybe like in countries like Egypt or maybe elsewhere, because that's their faith. That's what they want to do. So even if they are outside Egypt or inside Egypt, it doesn't make a difference because for them, God is everywhere. So if they are doing that for God's sake to please their God and to express their obedience to him and obeying his orders, then they will keep always doing it. However, in Egypt, you still find ladies would be dressed the way I'm telling you. I mean, covering their faces except of the eyes. And they normally do that in very dark colors. Not necessarily black, but sometimes dark blue and uh, dark green. Just dark colors. Simply because the dark colors for them are the most inattractive colors. I mean, imagine me even now dressing and covering my face and everything, but I'm dressed from tip to toe in red. I would be just a kind of, I don't know, a ghost or something. You can spot me wherever I go. But dark colors will be the more or less attractive colors somehow, so that's what they will choose to wear. Also, in a hot, in a hot atmosphere that, as what we're having in Egypt, black color or dark colors will enable them to wear some kind of like light clothes underneath without, um, without being... Uh, I mean, the dark colors are not as transparent as other colors, so they can feel comfortable wearing light clothes underneath without being seen from uh, the outsiders. And then when they go somewhere else where they can take the veil off, they can still wear the light clothes so they can be co more comfortable. Um, that's another thing which is very important that I would like to clarify. Again, it is the difference between traditions and the religion, and you will see it a lot. In most of the Islamic countries, uh, traditions sometimes will be the main lead. Like, again, in some other Arabic countries, like in Saudi Arabia or in um, Emirates, it's very common among their society to find polygamy, or like, man is married to more, one, more than one wife. And that's mainly during their, because of their tribal atmosphere somehow and their social way. However, in Egypt, it's not, it's not more likely to have a man who will be having more than one wife. It's mainly one wife, but then in certain few occasions, for reasons, that's when you'll find that man can marry more than one wife. What do I mean by reasons? As we said, that adultery is not accepted. So what about if a man gets married to a lady, 
and she cannot give babies. And he would like to have a family. So the only alternative in front of that man, that man is just to have another relationship with another lady. And for us in the religion, this means sinning. So in this case, he has to legitimize the relationship with the other lady by marriage. But he has to take the approval of his first wife first. If she said okay, then it's okay. But if she said no, then it's according to her choice. Whether they will be separated without a divorce and he will be financially supporting her, or they will be separated with divorce if she would like to remarry. If she said okay, then he has to be very, very cautious and very, very justice in treating both his wives. A pound here, a pound there. A kiss here, a kiss there. A night here, a night there. And even in his emotions, he shouldn't be loving one more than the other. And that's, of course, impossible because none of us can control his emotions. But, I mean, God made it so strict so that it won't be manipulated or abused by men because, of course, he knew the human nature and he knew how weak people could be. So he wanted to make it so strict so not to be abused. And also, uh, due to the financial circumstances, it's not very easy. I mean, in the other Gulf areas, they are wealthy enough to have a couple of houses for the couple of their wives that they would be having. But in a country like Egypt, it would be very difficult because you have to have a flat or apartment for each of your wives if you'll be having more than one. And if you'll be having children from both your wives, then you have to secure them the same social standard level um, for both families, which means that you have to have at least two incomes to be able to support two families with the same social standard level, which is not very easily to happen in Egypt. That's why I'm not saying that it's not happening. It is, but it's not as common as in other Arabic countries. Um, I think time is off. It went so quickly. I would love to keep talking and talking with you till tomorrow, if it's possible. <laughs> but um, as Jim was saying, I will be just around here in case if any one of you would like to have any questions, like just to talk, uh, know me better, knowing you better. And again, thank you all for allowing me to have this uh, excellent opportunity to be with you, and I'm absolutely honored. Thank you.